Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail, our highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking, please. Thank you. Hey folks, you're listening to Two Men in the Mouse, episode 206 on the White Dragon Podcast Network, recorded live at the White Dragon Studio in Orlando, Florida, and Rogue Comics in Granville, New Jersey, on August the 11th, 2020. This is your everyday guide to the magic of Walt Disney World and the larger Disney universe beyond it. My name is Kevin Kessler, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Peter Mandel. Hey, Kev. Hey, Pete. What's going on? Yeah. Bright morning. Yep. Bright morning as we head into tomorrow uh, on our tour this week. Oh, I like it. Uh, folks, we are two lifelong Disney fanatics who have managed to keep the magic of Disney alive in our lives every day. And we want to share that magic with you. So pull up a chair, gather the family, or pop in your favorite set of headphones, and let's experience the magic together. Pete! Kevin. Not a lot of news this week. we got to kind of fly through it because we are on a time crunch. I know you have to open up the store. The The research on Tomorrowland took forever for me today. And well, I am currently also yeah. wrapping up work uh, to go on my Disney trip. Uh, that, oh, that very exciting. Tomorrow. Yeah, so... Disney vacay. Yeah, yeah. Very, very odd and, and different for me to actually, like, you know, have a Disney vacation. But uh, very much looking forward to it. Hey, did you ever figure out, like, how many days are you actually doing parks? Four. Four. So three, now three nights, have, four days. Do you have four park reservations? I do, yeah. How, I thought you could only get, like, three. Not No, when you have a resort reservation, you can do as many days oh, it's as only you're there for. It's, it's only, only for it's whoever. only three days if you're an annual pass holder. Those are the only people they're trying to keep out. Got it. Which they still are. Apparently, for the next two weeks, annual pass holders have no access to any parks. And then for the last two weeks of August, the only park that's available for any annual pass holder is uh, Epcot. But if you're a resort guest or someone who bought a one-day ticket, uh, you can get into every single park on every single day. So if you have an uh, annual pass, but you're staying in um, in the resort, yeah. If you're, you're a resort guest, if you if you're staying in a resort, then you are a resort guest, and you have full resort guest access. Oh, nice. At that point, cool. so it, yeah, that trumps your uh, your annual pass. All right, ready for the news? Let's do it. Brought to you by our buddy Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, who will plan your Disney vacation for you at no additional cost to you. You can always find Dave at DisneyDaveW at Verizon.net. Shoot him an email. Let him know when you want to go. He'll get you a quote right away. Uh, worldwide news. We have reduced hours coming to Walt Disney World starting September the 8th. Did you hear about this? I uh, sure have. I mean, it's it's one of those stories that I think I'll, I'll say, you know, 20 people the day that came out were like, yeah. hey, did you hear yeah um, I, I mean crazy. you know the at the end of the day i don't think it's that huge of a deal but i didn't either when i first read it and i saw the times now listen it's a big deal but I, well the company like is you... the company's reported an estimated 3.8 billion dollars in losses this quarter from theme park uh oh that's it businesses yeah like almost an entire ross perot right the dated <laughs> reference for you uh, Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios will lose an hour each, uh, with Epcot and Animal Kingdom each losing two hours. So here's what the new operating hours looks like. Magic Kingdom uh, is going from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. to being 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. 
Epcot reducing hours originally 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. now going to be 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Animal Kingdom was originally 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. now will be 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And Hollywood Studios is going from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. to 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. So really not... You know, let me just say this too, and I have no idea if this is a correlation or not, but my store is open on Wednesdays till 9 and Thursdays till 8. And I've been open since June 15th. And honestly, I haven't stayed open that late any of those days. And not because I don't want to. I would love to. But right now, kind of in the current climate, no one's really going out late. Now, I don't know if that's the case in Disney. I think in Disney, it's more a matter of... um, Although, who knows? I mean, Epcot has literally nothing going on, right? We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just feel like they could send every employee home a little bit earlier and not Maybe. pay them. And it's not that much of a stretch. It's, it is weird, though, seeing Epcot close at 7. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, Mag- Magic Kingdom kinda... closing at 6 is ridiculous. Right. Well, I mean, but I guess there are days when they did hard ticket events where you right. kind of knew Magic Kingdom was closing anyway. But Epcot's always the one. Epcot always, you know, let's face it, it's always, you know, go to di- go to Epcot for dinner. Fireworks are always at 9, 930. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's it's like a standard, you know? Yeah. Even yeah, it's when it's nuts. open later, it feels weird. Epcot always closes at like 930, you know? Well, especially because even during daylight savings time, 6 p.m. here is still light out. I mean, it's not right. like up north when... You know, the clocks go back and, um, you know, it gets dark at like 430. It's not like yep. that at all. Uh, so it's going to be definitely really interesting to see the, the parks closing while the sun is still up in the sky. Uh, it, it's just so funny to me because they're like, no one's coming to the parks. No one's coming to the parks. Yet you have a a immense crowd of annual pass holders who are like, we want to come in there and spend money. And they're like, no, not you. No, we want other people. <laughs> Uh, we have your money already. Yeah, no, we, we're we're already charging you monthly. We you, you're you're already under our un, under our thumb, but we want more money for more people. Uh, so you know, you guys coming in and spending money on food and merchandise is not going to cut it. Uh, so no resort news, no water park news. Uh, we have some Disney Springs news, a really little piece of news. Uh, the Disney stores that are located in all of the Disney Springs hotels are permanently closing. So it says Disney is in the process of closing down its least retail spaces inside the Disney Springs Resort area hotels. These seven third-party operated hotels located along Hotel Plaza Boulevard typically offered a small Disney retail space, which sold Walt Disney World tickets, gifts, and snacks. Now, ticket sales were the primary revenue driver at these locations, and the current theme park ticketing demand is not enough to sustain those stores, along with the continuing shift to online sales of tickets. So those stores are going away. Uh- I'm going to plead ignorance here and say I didn't even know there were stores there. There, Yeah, there are. I knew that because um, I stayed in one of those uh, hotels one time with my dad when he was down here for a business trip. And um, uh, my friend Samantha stayed in, uh, I think, the Windsor or something like that. The one that's like right next to Disney Springs. So I dropped her off and picked her up one day and I saw inside the hotel they had the the Disney store, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Magic Kingdom News. The Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover, which we'll talk about a lot later, is now listed as under a multi-month refurbishment. So we remember it, it like spazzed out like earlier in the year, like around March or something like that. They've never been able to get it back up and running. It is now listed as being under refurbishment through the end of October 2020. So something big must have happened. 
you know, I, I think that maybe this is a situation where this ride needed a bit of an overhaul. Like maybe there were some like declining uh, like parts on this ride. And, and obviously like actually, you know, in March kind of there was some failure. And instead of just patching it, now is the perfect time on a ride that might be a little harder to wipe down and get clean for COVID yeah. to kind of just overhaul this right now. Yeah, that might I, I think be true. Maybe it's just me being optimistic, but I'm hoping this was just a perfect storm for the people mover. So you're saying now is the time? Now is the time. The best time of your life, uh, which we'll talk about later also. Uh, but you know what? It's so funny to me because I, it feels kind of like the Magic Kingdom is falling apart right now. Because you've got the people mover completely shuts down, right? Yep. Then you have our next news item. Well, first, and then there was an item yesterday where apparently somebody got hit in the head by something on on Space Mountain. Really? Yeah, I don't. They weren't like injured, I don't think, or anything like that. But they got off the ride and they were like, "Oh, I got hit in the head by something," and the ride like closed down. And apparently, like that person's family went to get on the ride again, which clearly you didn't get too hurt if your family's like, "Let's get back on it." Like, but and the ride was like closed down because they were like seeing what happened. But uh. our next news item, which I forgot to talk about last week, and uh, my wonderful girl- girlfriend reminded me. Um, in all caps that I forgot to talk about this is the Splash Mountain boat that sank to the bottom yeah. of the attraction, ca- causing guests to to immediately like jump out of the ride onto the safety rails and a cast member to come along and like like verbally like um uh, chastise them for getting out of the vehicle. They were like, "It's on the bottom of the like it's underwater." Yeah, I I would think I would probably do the same thing. Yeah, but you know what? Apparently, like there's like in the in that water a lot of times, or in the water of Disney attractions, there's sharp things, there's sudden dips, and and there's sudden like you know. So I mean, I get the outrage of being like, "How dare you tell us to not get out of this boat?" But I also get the "Oh my goodness, you cannot just get out of the boat." I would never go from the boat to the water do you know what i mean it would have to be like from the boat to the like land let's right, call it right you know what i mean like i wouldn't just go into because you have no idea how deep that water is or, yeah you know. i mean but there's a twitter video of it like so one of them snapped a video that log is underwater like fully submerged right in the, the laughing place area that's wild yeah could you imagine being on that ride and all of a sudden that happens? You think they got fast passes for it? I'm not going to lie, though. There is part of me that would be cool sitting like in the water, like kind of submerged and have someone take a picture of me like in the log. In like that super dirty, disgusting, like diesel fuel water. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I would just be like sitting. I mean, I'm assuming Disney would have to hook you up with something. You know what I mean? Do, here, so here's my question. Did they all get fast passes for the log sinking or did they all get banned for life for getting out of the uh, right. getting out of the vehicle? Uh, so yeah, I mean that's kind of like an impossible situation because yes, it's a huge safety hazard to just get out of the vehicle. But at the, at the other hand, you're underwater, or you're not underwater. Like it's probably up to like someone's like stomach. But still, you're not going to just sit there bathing in the in the waters of Splash Mountain. Uh, Epcot news: We have seen our first look at the pylons for the new Epcot entrance fountain. This was shared by Imagineering Zach Ridley on Instagram. He said, I'm excited to share a first look at the pylons we installed last night as we continue to reimagine the Epcot main entrance fountain, which has anchored this area since the park opened in 1982. 
our design team took special interest in looking back to the original geometry for inspiration and infusing new features with a little bit of added magic to bridge the past, present, and future of Epcot. These majestic pylons also draw your eye upward toward the sky and perfectly frame views of the iconic Spaceship Earth attraction. I can't wait to reveal the completed look for this fountain later this year, Barry the Platypus. Uh, <coughs> sorry, that kind of like... Is that for the upcoming Candace movie? Yeah. Is there a Candace movie? Oh, yeah. I'm sure my whole family is like really excited. There's about really it. a Just, Candace movie? Yeah, Disney Plus. I believe it's August 28th, but don't quote me on that date. What is, what's the point of the Candace movie? She's trying to bust your brothers like for a whole movie? I, I hope so. We love Candace in my Oh, house. Candace is the best. Mom! Yeah. He, I love when she does her like little Candace laugh. Like, she's, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I, I hope that show gets the love that it deserves, like, in retrospect. I've just started rewatching it again, and it is just so, like so funny. There's so many great running gags. Like, the, when Doofenshmirtz can't tell that it's Perry if he doesn't have the hat on. Yep. Like, there's, like, Perry, like, crashes into this, like, music stand, and he, like, comes waddling out, like, like, dizzy with a banjo around his, around him with no hat on, and he, and he goes, a banjo playing platypus. And then he puts the hat on and he goes, Barry the banjo playing platypus. Like, it's so, so funny. Uh, it makes me want to watch that show, Milo Murphy's Law, because I know Did that. Did you ever watch it? I've never watched it, but I know that Doof and Perry becomes uh, series regulars, like, in the second season. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I mean, listen, it's not. It's not Phineas and Ferb. But um, I enjoyed it. Okay. And it, I mean, it is borderline, you know, like the style and everything. It is borderline just like a sequel. You know? I yeah, mean, that's uh, what I've heard. So. I, I mean, now Doofenshmirtz and Perry are in it now. So. Right. Um, all right. So Eats at the Epcot Experience has reopened. It's located inside the Odyssey Pavilion. It is a quick service eatery that offers a limited menu of fast food. Venue originally opened back up in 2019 as the area's main quick service, the Electric Umbrella was closing so this had to open up it has been home to various festival kiosks in recent years epcot has a limited selection of quick service available which currently includes katsura grill la cantina de san angel les ales boulangerie patasserie regal eagle smokehouse craft traps and barbecue and sunshine seasons uh in further epcot reopening news the house of good fortune has reopened in the china pavilion that is a third party merchandise shop there uh which means that the temporary kiosk location has closed so there you go. Oh, one thing I, I forgot to mention in Epcot, they, um, you know, that like uh, between the Canada and UK pavilions, how they have that like big blue building where they do all those convent like conventions and stuff that's open yep. to the public now with wow. food and wine locations inside. Cool. Yeah. One of which is like the, the, the festival favorites booth, which has the, uh, the Ireland fisherman's pie and the, oh, is that where the pierogies uh, are? And the pierogies and kielbasa yeah. from the old Poland booth. It doesn't exist anymore. So that's the news this week. All right. Not bad. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break, hear from our wonderful sponsors and the rest of the White Dragon Podcast Network, and we'll be back with more of Two Men in the Mouse right after this. You know, Pete, it's hard work planning a Disney vacation. Of course. 
your whole family has to get going. You got to pack everything up. You got to figure out where you're eating. You got to figure out where you're staying. But you know what makes life so much easier? Makes your trip planning a more fun experience. Tell me, that sounds like something I need. Absolutely, you need a travel agent. Do we know one of those? We absolutely do. We know our good friend and sponsor, Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men and the Mouse, folks. We've both used him. Yes, we have. Dave Weikert plans our Disney vacations all the time, and we would not recommend him if we didn't use his services ourselves. Dave started his Cranford-based business here in 2008, and in that time has been planning hundreds of Walt Disney World vacations. Dave plans every trip as if it were his own, and you will never find someone more passionate about Disney. Very easy to work with and will do his best to make sure you're satisfied. Working with Dave, you're likely to pay less and get more. And what's better than that, Peter Mandel? Tell me. You never pay a charge for Dave's services. It is 100% free. Dave will plan your entire trip for no additional cost to you. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. Dave has helped over 875 families enjoy their Disney vacations. A graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge, Dave has visited every Disney World resort and has personally stayed at 12 Disney World resorts. He's dined also at every Disney restaurant. He's crazy about Disney food. That is an accomplishment. Absolutely. I wish I could say I did that. That's like the snack challenge times 10. Yep. Dave also gives you Disney dollars for land packages and shipboard credits for any Disney cruise line vacations you might be going. Uh, This can be used as cash at any Disney destination or store. Traveling with kids in your party, Dave will also provide you autograph books for all your kids. He gave them to us? Absolutely. Your kids went down with Dave Weiger autograph books. Of course. Well, Disney autograph books supplied by Dave Weiger. Depends how his name on Dave simplifies your life by booking your complete vacation, including resort stay, airlines, Disney meal plans, and park passes. Also, checks daily for new discounts. When specials are announced, he immediately checks availability and rebooks your vacation at the lowest possible price. Dave can also book all your Disney dining and will do his best to get hard-to-book reservations like Cinderella's Royal Table and Be Our Guest. It's really, truly a no-brainer. Folks, take the stress out of your life. Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, the official travel agent of Two Men in the Mouse. If you and your family are taking a trip to the Orlando area this year, your little ones deserve to stroll in style. Lugging a stroller from home can be an annoying and frustrating part of the first leg of your journey, and renting those hard plastic strollers from Disney theme parks can be both costly and uncomfortable for your kids. Well, I'm here to tell you about the solution to your child transport problems, and that's Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers is a Disney-featured stroller and crib provider that does exactly what you're looking for at a great price. Not only is it less expensive than renting a stroller from the theme parks themselves, but these are padded luxury models with features like drink holders, canopies, storage baskets, and more. What's more, you keep this stroller with you for your entire trip, whereas park-rented strollers, you got to return them before you leave the park that day. This is going to make those late-night post-fireworks bus stop queues so much easier, and Dad's shoulders are going to thank you for it. So, how does it work? You just go to kingdomstrollers.com and make your selection on the stroller or crib that's right for your child. Just let the good folks over there know a great time for delivery and pickup and where you'll be staying. You can pick your stroller or crib up from the luggage stand at your resort and then drop them back off there at the end of your stay. So pack light, leave your stroller at home, and save up to a whopping 50% versus park price stroller rentals when you visit kingdomstrollers.com. Hello, humans! My name is Morty Monster, and I'm... uh, Well, I'm a monster. I'm here as an exchange student from the Monster World, where growing up I fell in love with the world of human pop culture. 
Unfortunately, not a lot of monsters share that passion, so I came here to experience all of these things that I love and to share that passion with all of you. I do this through my YouTube channel with regular video blogs. One of my favorite things to do is film while in the theme parks of Orlando, Florida. Join me in Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, SeaWorld, and more. I'll also be reviewing comic books, web videos, TV shows, movies, and other awesome stuff. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash MortyMonster. I'm on Instagram as MortyMonster and friends. I'm also on Twitter as MortyMonsterBFF. From there, you can find a link to my YouTube videos. Please like, subscribe, love, sign up for notifications and more for all the Morty content. I can't wait to share my adventures with all of you. Morty Monster! This is Bill Farmer, and you're listening to Two Men and the Mouse. Folks, welcome to the future. Or should I say your future? Wrong park. Uh, Tomorrowland represents the hope for a peaceful and unified world. Tomorrowland is a world of progress where space travel is at your fingertips, where aliens are encountered, evil emperors are dethroned, monsters make us laugh, and people are moved. This idealized version of the future has become such a main focus of the Magic Kingdom, appearing in both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, as well as other Disney parks all throughout the world. And while we've come to see it more as this retro 70s sci-fi view of the future rather than a window into the actual future that awaits us, it still represents hope for a more magical tomorrow. The World Tour continues this week, closing off the Magic Kingdom. In today's e-ticket attraction of the week, Pete and I are taking you through... Tomorrowland, and this is brought to you by Kingdom Strollers for all of your crib and stroller rental needs in the Orlando area, kingdomstrollers.com. All right, are you ready to walk through Tomorrowland? I sure am. You know, it's funny, because I was like, oh, Tomorrowland, this isn't going to be that long or involved, because, uh, you know, it's it's a smaller area. It's, you know, it's not like Frontierland, which feels so huge, or even Fantasyland, which is just massive now that it includes the circus. But when you look at the history of Tomorrowland, there are so many extinct attractions from Tomorrowland. So like every yep. attraction building is pretty much like three attractions because it's kind of been a revolving door over the years is because the, you know, the, the, the challenge of Tomorrowland is that Tomorrowland becomes yesterday land very quickly. Well, I think when you go into this kind of like idealized, like, you know, sci-fi version that you were talking about, yeah. I think the tone changes, but I think it kind of makes it a little more timeless than we have to keep up with this is what it's going to be like. Right, but when when Disneyland first opened Tomorrowland in 1955, it was meant to be, according to Walt Disney, 
science factual instead of science fiction because Walt was obsessed with the future, but he didn't want to create a fictionalized version of the future. He wanted it to be the attainable future. He wanted to create a living blueprint of what the future was going to be in the world of 30 years in the future, which at the time was 1986. Uh, however, Walt apparently believed that trips to the moon and robots were going to be common in 1986. I wish they were. Yeah. Uh, but the original Tomorrowland in Disneyland had no flying saucers, no aliens, nothing like that. It was very science factual. But it opened in Walt Disney World on opening day on October, uh, October 1st, 1971. Much different from Disneyland's. First of all, you only had two attractions that were in operation on opening day. Can you guess what they were? Space Mountain? No. Nope. Space Mountain didn't open until 75. No. Um, hmm. One of them is infuriating. I don't, I don't know. Not Astro Orbiter. No, it was the um, it was the Grand Prix Raceway, okay, which is the infuriating one, and the um, uh, the Skyway to Fantasyland. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. Uh, you had no Space Mountain, no Rocket Tower Plaza, no Carousel of Progress. The buildings were not even there for these attractions. You had, and you had two empty show buildings right at the entrance of Tomorrowland. Originally you were actually able to see the Contemporary Resort from Tomorrowland very clearly because you didn't have Rocket Tower Plaza there or the Carousel of Progress Theater. So you, right. you had a very clear view of uh, the Contemporary. So the Contemporary was actually designed to blend in with the scenery of Tomorrowland. Now, Tomorrowland stays this way for four years. It doesn't get a, a huge expansion until 1975. But let's enter Tomorrowland through the main entrance under the Tomorrow the Tomorrowland sign which was recently replaced, I believe, in the last year. Yeah, with the really boring one? Yeah, the really boring one that's like nothing like the really awesome one that we used to have. As you walk over that bridge, you have a breathtaking view of Cinderella Castle on your left-hand side. You cross under the, the newly boring sign. You see the rocks that were painted back in, I want to say, 2016 or 2017. Um, and they were painted uh, like that really cool metallic blue that I really love. Yeah, if you were telling me that they were going to paint the rocks, I'd be like, this is going to end up being terrible. Right. But man, it totally worked out. Now, Tomorrowland was meant to be like a futuristic Main Street USA, uh, complete with like a whole community built around it. It was a metropolis where people, robots, and aliens are all coming together. So the original stretch uh, right there is called the Avenue of the Planets. And it used to have a welcome sign from the Tomorrowland Chamber of Commerce before the 2016 rock painting. That was all removed. Right. Uh, Right here, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that we have the Tomorrowland Terrace Restaurant, which is a seasonally operated restaurant. Sells, you know, burgers, fries, chicken nuggets, and all those other good stuff. But it also is the home of all of the Magic Kingdom dessert parties. Because you have that, like, that terrace um, area where you can, um, you know, get that great view of the castle. Right. Um, Also, along that walkway, coming from Tomorrowland Terrace Restaurant into Tomorrowland proper, is the legendary Purple Wall, which was made famous by social media and Instagram people. Uh, I think the the Purple Wall fascinates me because it is is a fan-created concept that Disney just kind of embraced, kind of like the Bride's Ring. Right, which I like when they do that. Yeah. It's I like it when they do that rather than when they, like, try to, like, you know, eliminate those fan-created things. Yes. But Disney, like, things like that or, like, Dapper Day, like, Disney kind of embraces and realizes that they can kind of capitalize on it because then they start releasing Purple Wall merchandise. There's Purple Wall hats, Purple Wall shirts. 
And really, folks, it's just a purple wall that people like to take Instagram pictures against. Uh, Disney has added some flourishes and some new designs onto the wall over the years, but it still remains just a purple wall. Have you ever taken a picture at the purple wall? No. Now, as your kids get older and your daughter gets on like Instagram and stuff like that, she may become a purple wall girl. Okay. She may be like, I have to take a selfie at the purple wall and all the other walls. We should do a whole show one day on just the Instagram walls. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I would never, you know, kind of turn away Disney pictures, you know? I love them. They now sometimes have a photo pass photographer at the purple wall. Oh, that'd be cool. Which is I would just do a that. Hysterical place to put a photo pass. I love it. Uh, but the um, have you ever like really thought about like all the different like social media walls that there are in Disney? That have you know, famous? it's funny when you walk by some of them. You're like, oh, okay, that's got to be one of them. Yeah, you know what I mean, too, if you don't know them, you can recognize them. Well, you got the purple wall was the original, and then in Epcot right. you have the bubblegum wall. Which is, I believe, outside of, um, uh, I think it's outside of um, the restaurant, Coral Reef. Um, and then you have the toothpaste wall and the blueberry wall, which are outside of Spaceship Earth, like right outside the exit queue. Right. And you, uh, fans have also re- uh, called the construction walls for Guardians of the Galaxy the Galaxy Wall because it is a really neat wall. I saw that. That's cool. And then in Animal Kingdom, you have the Moss Wall. Which is the um, the wall outside of um, Flight of Passage in the gift shop right. there? So, yeah, I have taken a picture there, but not intentionally. Right. Okay. So let's look at the left side of the street first. We're uh, currently it is the Stitch Alien Encounter character meet and greet, which is not currently open, obviously. But yeah, you know. uh, originally this was called Flight to the Moon. Uh, that opened in Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy one. So just a few, just two short months after the the park open two and a half almost three it revolved around the moon landing which had taken place pretty recently at that point um the the attraction took place quote sometime in the future and what what ticket do you think flight to the moon was c it's a d ticket attraction actually okay and this was actually a lot of people don't realize that tom morrow was a real park specific character who was your guide in the control center for uh, Flight to the Moon. This was done in a circular theater, similar to what Stitch's Great Escape had. You boarded Flight 92, which blasts you off to the moon. It was inspired by an original Disneyland attraction called the Moonliner, which then eventually also became Flight to the Moon. It featured eight audio-animatronic figures that worked in the mission control center, and that's before you got in, into the, the area there, into the theater. And, you know, an emergency situation begins when an albatross has a rough landing on, um, you know, on the runway. Now, that footage, the reason I bring that up is because that footage can still be seen on a screen in the Mission Space Control Room in Epcot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, neat, right? So you got four rows of circular seating, and the seats would rumble as the mission uh, or as the, the flight to the moon took off. You had screens in the center of the room, along the walls, and in the ceiling. And you went to the moon, passed through a meteor shower. But this was only around until April 15th, 1975. So only about only not less than four years. Uh, it became Mission to Mars on June 17th, 1975. So they completely changed this attraction, Peter Mandel, in just a period of, what is that, two months? Yeah, two months. Not even. That's pretty weird, right? Yeah. 
a month and three weeks, pretty much. Uh, so pretty much the same attraction, but you went to a different destination. This was actually developed in conjunction with NASA. They did get rid of Tom Morrow, and he was replaced by Mr. Johnson, which is paging Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. You know, please contact Mr. Johnson in the control center to confirm your flight to the moon is a nod to both Mission to Mars with Mr. Johnson and Flight to the Moon with Tom Morrow. Obviously, that's something that we hear in the People Mover. Uh, Your ship is damaged in a meteor shower and has to make an emergency landing. They used actual NASA footage and then closed it in October of 1993 to become the extraterrestrial alien encounter. Uh, There is a tribute to Mission to Mars in the queue of Alien Encounter, or there was, and it was a sign that said, Mystery to Mars, History or Hoax by Tom Morrow. It was a sign. Uh, now, the Alien Encounter was first discussed on in 1987 on the opening day of Star Tours over in Disney's MGM Studios. Do you remember this? Of course. Uh, the uh, Michael Eisner, who was at the time the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, with George Lucas, opened the attraction and planned about talks to replace Mission to Mars with an exciting sci-fi attraction that they were going to collaborate on. Now, originally, it was actually meant they wanted the IP of the Alien films, the horror movie. Obviously. It's, yeah, well... <laughs> I don't think that's that much of a secret. I know, but it's just... It. It's, it's so weird to me to think that, like, an R-rated horror movie with the tagline, In Space, No One Can Hear You Scream, was meant to be a Disney attraction. Which, I mean, they eventually did get the Xenomorph into the great movie ride. But, yeah, the alien was supposed to be the Xenomorph. Uh, and the original name of the attraction was Nostromo, which is the ship from Alien. Um, of course, you know, R-rated movie. And it was deemed too scary to base an attraction around. And you couldn't, and Eisner couldn't get the rights secured. Uh, so they developed an original IP, which was just as terrifying as Alien. Uh, right. It follows the story of the XS tech, the XS company, and their tech, tele, their teleportation technology. XS Tech was the name of the um, the the company. George Lucas helped to develop the storyline. It opened briefly for pre- for previews on December sixteenth, nineteen ninety four, but closed by Eisner after only a few weeks because he thought it wasn't intense enough. He, wow! He wanted more scary. Darn it! Uh, it reopened with a warning that it was not intended for children under 12 years old and made a lot more scary. Uh, they put in an additional $15 million worth of changes, and it reopened on June 20th, 1995. Uh, you had satellite dishes on the roof, which looked like a receiver for the teleportation technology, which was a nice touch. It was directed by Jerry Reese, who was the visual supervisor uh, for Tron. And Lucasfilm created a lot of the audio um, cues and effects that took place in the attraction. It also introduced 4D technology, which means not just things that you see, but things that you smell, feel, touch, taste. All well, you, not, you don't taste anything. But. Uh, George Wilkins wrote the lobby music, a legendary Disney composer, George Williams. Uh, Wilkins, I'm sorry. So legendary that I messed up his name. It took place in total darkness and had a celebrity cast. One of the first Disney attractions to feature actual celebrities included Tyra Banks, uh, Tim Curry as the Sir Robot, which was later replaced by SNL's Phil Hartman. Okay. Did you ever do Alien Encounter? Of course. You did? Okay. What did you think yeah. of it? I thought it was terrible. If really? Why did you think it was terrible? I I didn't understand, like, 
I don't know. I just I didn't think it was very good. You could feel and smell the alien's breath as the alien walked by. It kind of pushed down on your seat. And at one point, when the alien disembowels somebody in the middle of the attraction, you did get splashed <laughs> with blood. Well, blood, quote unquote. It was right, water, right. but you got hit with a viscous substance in the face. So. Uh, <laughs> I just can't believe this was a Disney attraction. Like. Who thought that Michael Eisner had some great ideas? I'm not a Michael Eisner hater in any way, shape, or form. I think he did a lot of good. Um, but how? who, like, clearly nobody was able to talk him out of this. And I'm sure people right. tried. Right. This was, like, one of his, like, a brainchild. He's, like, Mark he's making this happen no matter what. Like, you just see Mark Davis being like, really? Like, this is what we're doing? Like, oh, man. I closed on October 12th, 2003. Disney Quest uh, had a game that was called Invasion, an extraterrestrial alien encounter, and XS Tech was once referenced in the Space Mountain queue. So there are some homages there. It then became a more reviled ride, Stitch's Great Escape, which obviously they needed a Stitch attraction because Stitch was such a like huge presence. Like you needed something there. Now, I don't know if this was as terrible as I think it was, or if I was just like, wow. This is like the perfect thing for this attraction because uh, Alien Encounter was just dumb. And I'm like, oh, man, they need something stitched. This is going to be fun. Like, it's going to be great. And then, man, it wasn't. It opened on November 16th, 2004. One of the only attractions that opened, uh, which actually had a Cinderella Castle makeover associated with it. When you walked in that day, Cinderella Castle was fully TP'd like it was like it was the night before Halloween with Stitches King written across the castle. So, right. you know, that was that was a pretty neat way to, to kind of debut the ride. Uh, it's a Galactic Federation Prisoner Transportation Center, and it closed in 2018 because nobody liked it and it was terrible. But, I mean, that's a 14-year run, basically, for this, for this attraction. Uh, the Stitch animatronic is actually was pretty unique. It was 39 inches tall, but very complex. Had 48 functions and could walk back and forth, which was something that not a lot of audio animatronics could do. Uh, now, this site is a character meet and greet, where you can meet Stitch in the queue area for the alien encounter. I've also seen it used as a candy location for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, where like you would walk into one of the theaters and get your candy there. Right. Of course, this year... Right now, there are no character meet and greets, and there is no Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party. So this is just well, hopefully one day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, right in this area, you've got the Merchant of Venus and Mickey's Star Traders, which now is just called Star Traders. I saw they changed that. I wonder why. What the reasoning is for taking Mickey out of there? I don't know. That's right. It's out of this world. I used to love that. Uh, but yeah, no more Mickey and Mickey Star Traders and uh, Merchant of Venus, obviously, is still there. Which is a take off the Shakespeare play Merchant of Venice, which is just terrible. Uh, the right side of the street uh, was originally a Circle Vision 360 theater. It opened weeks after the park opened and featured a number of um, different movies throughout the years. It started off with America the Beautiful, because that's that's all about the future, right? It was right. a It was a... It was a Circle Vision tour of the U.S., kind of similar to what O Canada was. It closed after only a year to become the Magic Carpet Around the World tour, uh, which was a Circle Vision tour of all around the world, but then became America the Beautiful again for the Bicentennial. They added some new scenes, and then it became American Journeys, which toured at notable landmarks of the United States. After that, it became the Tomorrowland... Um, 
Metropolis Science Center in 1994, which featured a new Circle Vision attraction called the Timekeeper. I know you liked this one. I did. I remember when we did our list of park-specific characters, you wanted the Timekeeper on the list. I believe he was. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. It was a Circle Vision film that told a story that incorporated time travel. You had audio animatronics, including the Timekeeper himself, which was performed by the legendary late, great Robin Williams. Yep. Uh, you also had um, his assistant, Nine-Eye, which was a little robot that was voiced by Cheers' Rhea Perlman. And Nine-Eye was called Nine-Eye because there's nine, char- there's nine cameras in Circle Vision that take the, the footage. Uh, so this is a time travel show. The pre-show introduced the characters. Nine-Eye would then travel back in time and send you back images. It involves Jules Verne um, and has Jules Verne discover the music of boys to men. There you go. Yeah. Uh, originally, this was going to be part of what was going to be called Discoveryland USA in Magic Kingdom. So the Tomorrowland in Paris is called Discoveryland, and they were going to revamp Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland into Discoveryland USA. It was going to be a complete revamp of Tomorrowland with new dining and attractions. There was Now, the Tomorrowland Terrace was going to become a restaurant called the Astronomer's Club, which would have had a giant telescope on the roof and featured people like Leonardo da Vinci and other great adventures throughout history coming in to talk to you, but then Nine-Eye and the Timekeeper would be shuttling them back and forth, like sending them back through time. Right. So it was going to be a restaurant that was directly connected to the Timekeeper attraction. Of all, great without it, then. Yeah, it would have been so cool. Uh, the Timekeeper movie opened in 1994 as part of New Tomorrowland when the uh, Discoveryland USA concept was scrapped. Now, once that was scrapped, they just re- redid Tomorrowland fully in 1994, creating like a whole new version of Tomorrowland, which is kind of more in line with the Tomorrowland that we see now with a whole new backstory, kind of giving it that community feel, that Main Street USA metropolis kind of thing. Um, the attraction became seasonal in 2001, which is always the death sentence. And then after uh, September 11, 2001, when, when tourism went down, the timekeeper was pretty much on borrowed time. It officially closed on February 26th of 2006 and then became the Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor in April of 2007. So it took about a year and two months down. Right. Uh, it was, this is actually a sequel to the movie because it's their laugh. It's your laughter thereafter. And, um, it's live comedy. It uses digital puppetry to um you know so you have performers that are actually doing the live comedy and also controlling the animated figures that appear on the screen you're able to text in your jokes which i think is great have you ever had a joke um read aloud in monsters Kevin, i've never even done this you've never done monsters incorporated laugh floor no it's not really something i care about or anyone in my party cares about. really oh i'm yeah. so it's so it's a delightful little break of the break in the day yeah and a lot of times it's funny you know, do you know about that guy? Um, no. One guy in the audience is, like, picked on for the whole show, and they keep calling him. He's like, oh, well, that guy. Like, they keep, like, and eventually at the end of the show, you know, Roz is like, well, I'm going to promote the person responsible for this. That guy. And then you get a you get a sticker that says, I was that guy in Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor. Oh, that's pretty cool. I've always wanted to be that guy, and I've never been that guy. The pre-show was updated in recent years to include Monsters University when that movie came out. Um, but but um, moving out of there and more into Tomorrowland proper, 
We're going to move over to where Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin currently is. But before that, we're going to talk about the attraction that used to be there called If You Had Wings, which opened on June the 5th, 1972, uses the exact same track system that Buzz Lightyear uses today. Uh, what ticket would you say If You Had Wings was? Uh, I'll say it's a moving vehicle. I'll go D. You know what? There was no ticket. It was one of the only free attractions in Walt Disney World. So that was a trick question? It was a trick question. I tricked you. I'm sorry about that for that deception. Okay. I hope that our trust is still uh, yeah, you know, intact. Um, but so if you had wings, had no ticket because it was mostly a giant commercial for Eastern Airlines, which was the sponsor of the attraction. I mean, like it was a basically Eastern Airlines was like, hey, we want to give you lots of money. And so Disney was like, OK, um, Imagineers <coughs> create an attraction for Eastern Airlines. And so they created if you had wings, which highlighted various locations that Eastern Airlines had um, that they would like send flights to. So you went to the Caribbean Islands, San Juan, Mexico, New Orleans, Bermuda, the Bahamas, um, and they used an Omnimover uh, to, to right. create this attraction. Had 42 projectors that were all controlled remotely through the Magic Kingdom Central Computers, one of the first attractions to do that. The queue was actually designed to look like an airport terminal for Eastern Airlines with the Eastern Airlines logo all over the place. And you actually didn't exit into a gift shop. You exited into a legitimate Eastern Airlines reservations desk where you can book flights. Wow. Yeah, so they weren't Disney cast members there. They were Eastern Airlines employees. Do you think that that did any type of business whatsoever? I can't imagine. Could you imagine like getting on a ride like that and be like, oh, wow, the Caribbean looked great. Let's book a flight literally right now in the middle of our vacation to go there. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I can't imagine that would have been any... It closed in 1987 when Eastern Airlines sponsorship ended, but that was a full, like... That was 15 years that this attraction stood exactly wow. like this. It reopened four days later, uh, and it was now called If You Could Fly. They just All they did was, it was nearly identical. They just removed the Eastern Airline references and uh, changed the theme song out. Okay. Because I guess Eastern Airlines had a, a stake in the theme song. This closed in January 1989 and became the Delta Dream Flight. Because guess who was the new sponsor? Delta Airlines, the new, oh. the new um, at the time, Delta Airlines was the official uh, airline of Walt Disney World. So it focused on the history of aviation rather than, like, if you had wings. And the Delta sponsorship continued until January of 1996. Uh, after that, it was just called Dream Flight from January 1st, 1996 until June 4th, 1996. And then it reopened as Take Flight on June 5th before closing finally... On January 1998, and then reopened in late 1998 as Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. Uh, Space Ranger Spin is, is an actual game. You get actual points and whatnot. Um, it has this weird kind of toy motif mixed in with, like, the Buzz... Because this is based on the Buzz Lightyear cartoon. Which I loved, by the way. I loved it, too. It was fantastic, and I thought it was a really great way to kind of, like, bridge the gap between Toy Story and, like, the IPs that exist in Toy Story. But like you have like the the the, the viewfinder in there and stuff like that. I, I don't oh, know, that's the, right. The batteries, yeah. like it's really weird how they kind of mix Toy Story in with the Buzz Lightyear cartoon. I don't really like that. I wish it was just like straight up Buzz Lightyear cartoon. Uh, you board your XP thirty seven spacecraft with your twin ion cannons, take it to the Gamma Quadrant, and defeat Z defeat Zerg. Hey, uh, do you ride this one? I love that ride. Oh, okay. Do you do you, how, do you usually score high? 
I do okay. You know, it stinks. Like sometimes you end up with a little bit of a busted car. Have you ever had like one that doesn't shoot too well? No, I don't think I've ever had that. I've had it where like I I'm I get pretty upset about it, but I normally do okay on this. I got to tell you, I have friends that know exactly which targets to shoot. And oh they, yeah, they do amazing because a lot of the targets are differently scored. Uh, Rocket Tower Plaza is kind of the central area of Tomorrowland. You have this, the current open-air stage, which was built in May of 2009. Uh, it hosts a number of shows and dance parties. The original stage for Rocket Tower Plaza, however, was where the Buzz Lightyear meet-and-greet is currently. That's between Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spinning Carousel of Progress. Yep. Let's... Which you can always check out the length of that line when you're on the People Mover. 100%. Speaking of the people mover, let's head over to there. That was a great segue. There you go. Debuted in Disneyland in 1967 as the Wedway People Mover to show off the newly redesigned Tomorrowland. Because they had kind of like, they were like, okay, this this like view of the 80s isn't cutting it. So let's like right. actually make it Tomorrowland. Uh, it debuted in Magic Kingdom in 1975. What, what ticket do you think the people mover was? Aha. Uh-huh. No ticket. No. Oh. It had a ticket. You want to try again? Um, I'll go. I'm going to go E. D ticket attraction. D. Oh, man. Yeah. It uses linear induction to propel the cars, which means that they have electromagnet magnets underneath that push and pull the vehicles over 45,000 feet of track. Or 40, yeah, 40, yeah. The original narration was done by Jack Wagner, who is the original Port Favor voice from the monorail. It is a grand circle tour of Tomorrowland that previewed attractions, which at the time were attractions that were either brand new, like Space Mountain and Carousel of Progress, or, you know, in the process of being built. Um, it was reimagined. In, the narration was uh, replaced in June of 1985. It previewed Carousel of Progress, if you had wings, the Circle Vision 360 Theater, Flight to the Moon, and Space Mountain originally. It was reimagined again in 1994 and renamed the Tomorrowland Transit Authority, which is kind of the version that I think we all kind of hold up as what we think is the original version. Right. With, like, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority now boarding for a round-trip Skyway tour, which I very much miss. Uh, That was done by Pete Renaday, who also voiced Henry in the Country Bears. It focused on the new Tomorrowland backstory of being a community of tomorrow. And it was an intergalactic meeting place, so it was kind of... Uh, they There were no major changes to the vehicles or track when the, it was reimagined along with the... Re- this is also when the rest of Tomorrowland was reimagined as well. Right. New narration and backstory was added. It was now an urban mass transit system as part of the story. And they added the hairstylist area, other kind of little areas there. But the main thing they added was the Progress City um, model, which is my favorite part of it. Now, yeah, me too. It's pretty awesome. Did you know that this is just a small part of the original model? Um, yeah, right, because isn't the original model, like, enormous? 115 feet wide and 16 feet deep. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, it used to actually be featured in Disneyland on the second floor of the Carousel of Progress, because the Carousel of Progress there has two floors. Had two floors. Right. Uh, the, uh, so, in typical Walt fashion... Um, just keep in mind like how much work this would have had to have been. Walt wanted the interior of all the buildings in the models to be furnished, finished, and lit. So they all are, if you look closely. It's 
Great. In October 2009, the narration was replaced again to become the version uh, that we all know and tolerate today. Uh, it was a five. It was during the five-month refurbishment of Space Mountain. The People Mover actually opened before Space Mountain, so you're able to kind of drive through and see more, uh, see kind of like the construction area, and that was when they had the lights on in Space Mountain as you drove by. Uh, this more actually this version, which we we all think is such a departure from what we think is the original version, more closely resembles the original Jack Wagner script from the seventies. Okay. In August 2010, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority was renamed the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. So now it is the People Mover once again. Outside the People Mover, you've got the Lunching Pad. Originally, the Lunching Pad was where anti-gravity's galactic goodies are um, currently. It opened in 1971. It had tuna sandwiches and things like cream cheese on honey date nut roll. It moved to Rocket Tower Plaza in 1979 which originally they had something called handwiches there, which were basically a cozy cone. It was a, bre- it was a bread cone filled with like sandwich okay. stuff because they believed that was the sandwich of the future. That makes sense, I'm right? still waiting for that. Who knew it was actually a wrap? Right, right. The Astro Orbiter uh, was installed in 1974. You have to take an elevator to get up onto it. Have you ever done the Astro Orbiter? I have. I did one time. hate it. I never have done it. Is it just too Love high? Love looking like- at it. Love looking at it. If it ever went away, I'd be devastated. But riding it, not a fan. There's no fast pass for it, as far as I can tell, right? I don't think so. And the line is the line's always ridiculous because you have to take that elevator up. Yep. Originally, there was a large Saturn V rocket as the center focal point of the attraction. Uh, it's much like a Dumbo. Uh, they've changed it to kind of create a tower and planets that give you the um, the perception that you're going faster than you are. What ticket do you think the Astro Orbiter was in 1974? A. D, ticket attraction. Okay. Maybe it's just my dislike for it. Yeah, the, the look was updated in 1994 in the full Tomorrowland refurbishment. Uh, now it is part of the story as the League of Planets created a simulator for you to learn how to fly a rocket ship. Uh, it takes 11 revolutions per minute, which means every year these rocket ships travel 1.2 million miles. You got that spinning wet globe near there, which currently you're not allowed to touch, uh, which has a map of the universe on it. If you look closely, there's actually a "You Are Here" star. Oh, that's cool. They also used to have that really cool robot newsboy that had the newspaper yep. inside that said "Stitch Escapes" was the Tomorrowland Times. They removed that last year. It's not there anymore. Why would they do that? I don't know. I don't know. But speaking of things that they removed for seemingly no reason, this was also around the area where Push the Talking Trash Can would come and talk to you. Yeah. He was a uh, little moving trash can. His name was Push. It said it on his face. And he would come over and, and chat with you for a bit. But I get why Push isn't there, you know? Well, yeah, because the guy that did Push or something to the contract ran out, right? Yeah, Disney didn't own the rights. You know, uh, Push the Talking Trash Can leaving was actually the cap off to our very first episode of Two Minute Mouse. Wow. It was, the, there you go. it was one of the very first topics we ever talked about. That's how I know it was in 2014. Hmm. Uh, robot palm trees are also all over this area. Now, storyline-wise, these palm trees take in solar energy through the palms, which then are which then make the uh, metal coconuts glow at night. One of them has the palms all folded up and no coconuts because, storyline-wise, that one has absorbed all of it, and they've taken the coconuts to harvest the energy. 
You've also got a soda vendor there with that red and white rocket ship. And Joffrey's Revive, which is a great, um, which is the nightmare of all Game of Thrones fans, but it is the uh, the location for Joffrey's in the Magic Kingdom. It uh, features the Mission to S'mores Latte, which is my favorite coffee in Walt Disney World. Okay. You can also get the Mission to S'mores Latte in the Joffrey's location outside the boathouse in Disney Springs because they have all of the different themed beverages from the parks. The Carousel of Progress is next on our tour. You ready for this? I definitely am. Located in the Rocket Tower Plaza Hub, originally opened in Walt Disney World in January of 1975, on the same day as Space Mountain. I'm sure they were both equally attended. That, I mean, they might have been. Who yeah. knows? Originally created uh, for G- the General Electric booth at the 1964-65 World's Fair, this was actually known as Walt Disney's favorite attraction. A lot of people said that. Uh, so the audience rotates around a stationary stage. There's always kind of that, like, oh, well, does the audience rotate or does the stage rotate? The audience actually rotates, which you can see from right. the outside because you can see when the yeah. theater starts to rotate. I didn't even know this was a debate. Yeah, no, I've heard people, like, wonder about it. The song Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow was created by the legendary Sherman Brothers, and they actually thought of it more as, like, a theme song for Walt Disney himself. This moved from Disneyland to Walt Disney World as a request by GE in 1975 uh, because people weren't really attending it as much. They built a single-level building instead of the two-tier building in Disneyland. The theaters now rotated counterclockwise as opposed to clockwise, which is how they, lo- they rotated in Disneyland and before that at the World's Fair. GT- GE also, uh, one of their requests when it moved to Walt Disney World was they wanted a new song. Hmm. Because they said they don't want customers waiting for tomorrow. They want them to buy appliances now. Which is maybe the most ridiculous corporate America thing I've ever heard in my life. Yep, uh, I believe it. Well, they'll just all wait for tomorrow to buy our appliances. No, no. Uh, So now that's when they did now is the time. Now is the best time of your life. uh, Written by the Sherman Brothers. The dog has also changed. um, Has changed names, colors, genders. All throughout the years. Originally, the dog was named Buster. No relation to my former compatriot, Buster the Bat Dog. Um, Then he was Sport. Then she was Queenie. And now he is Rover. And the dog changed colors from white to light brown to the current dark brown. Uh, And so when it relocated to Walt Disney World, GE also wanted a new ending scene, which was supposed to be Christmas in a house in the 1980s featuring GE products. The GE sponsorship ran out on March 10th of 1985. However, some GE logos are still visible on some of the appliances. It's kind of an homage. In 1993, it closed for refurbishment as part of the new Tomorrowland, reopening in 1994. It updated the Christmas scene to take place in the year 2000. New narration uh, was put in with Gene Shepard, cast as John, who is the father. He's also the narrator for A Christmas Story. Okay. Did you ever realize that? No. I didn't either until I until I read that today. That that the same that John is the narrator for a Christmas. Yeah. Story. Of course, I've only seen a Christmas story once. Really? Yeah. Not really a big fan. I'm not a huge fan either, but I feel like it's always on. Yeah. You know, only one fan, only one member of the family has had the, their voice completely unchanged since the original version. You know who that is? No. Old Uncle Orville who was voiced by the legendary voice artist Mel Blanc, who is Bugs Bunny. Wow, cool. He recorded it as a favorite of Walt Disney and actually recorded the voiceover with a pen in his mouth because Uncle Orville um, had a cigar in his mouth. 
1996, it was redesigned yet again, which saw the return of a great big beautiful tomorrow, which, thank goodness. And it focused more on the connection to Walt. That was when it was dubbed Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. It fits into the theme of Tomorrowland as basically they, they consider it to be a historical museum in this futuristic society. It is, as you can hear from the, the narration at the beginning, the longest-running stage show with the most performances in the history of American theater. Space Mountain is our next destination. Now, Pete, I'm going to give you a, a gimme here. What ticket okay. was Space Mountain? No ticket? No, it was the quintessential e-ticket attraction. Yeah, this is like, when you think e-ticket, this, this is, is what you think. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So Walt actually had the idea for the concept of Space Mountain, but never lived to see it be realized. It took 11 years to realize Space Mountain, mostly because Walt wanted the music to be timed to the movements of the cars, and just they didn't have the technology at the time. Right. He envisioned a roller coaster in the dark, because he believed that the, that having it be in the dark made it more surprising. And it was kind of meant to be like an extend, almost like a counterbalance to the Matterhorn bobsleds. You have the Matterhorn Mountain, and you have a Space Mountain. Um, it opened in 1975 in Walt Disney World alongside the Carousel of Progress. The Disneyland Space Mountain actually came later. It opened two years later. So Disney Walt Disney World Space Mountain is the original Space Mountain. It is also the first computer-controlled roller coaster in the world and first enclosed in the dark roller coaster. The technology was sponsored by RCA, who was also the original sponsor. The building is 183 t- three, 83 feet tall. And the structure was actually built first, and then the track was built inside, typically like mm. with Guardians of the Galaxy and with Tron and you know stuff like that. You, you see they build the track first and then build the building around the track. So it was interesting that they did it differently back then. Now, you have to cross under the railroad tracks to get onto Space Mountain, which is why when you go into the queue, you have to go down first before you go up. Right. Makes sense. Much like Pirates of the Caribbean was. You have two nearly identical tracks. Uh, anyone tells you that there is no difference is not telling you the truth. Uh, you have the Omega track, which is 3,186 feet, and you have the Alpha track, which is 3,196 feet. There's an additional 10 feet, which probably accounts to two seconds of ride, um, you know, it, it, on the Alpha track. The ride takes two minutes and 47 seconds. With uh, How fast do you think it goes? Uh, 29 miles per hour. 28 miles per hour. I think. Oh, I knew I was close. You were close. Yeah, most people would, would assume that it goes like 50, 60 miles an hour because it feels so fast, but it really is very slow moving. In 1989, the entrance to Space Mountain was updated and repainted, and three-seat rockets replaced the original four-seaters. Now, in, Dis- in Disneyland, you have four-seater rockets where the people sit next to each other, as right. opposed to Walt Disney World now, where it's a six-seater and everyone sits one behind the other. In 1992, the exit was rerouted to go through the gift shop. In 1994, FedEx became the sponsor of Space Mountain. It was the last sponsor that they'd ever had. Cosmetic changes were created. A new pre-show uh, called Space Mountain TV also debuted, which featured Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell. 2004, FedEx left the sponsorship, and the attraction has not been sponsored since then. There was a $12 million refurbishment in April of 2009. Remember when it was closed for, like, ever? Yep. This featured an intera- a new interactive queue with games, which now you can just play on the Disney Parks app, which is funny. Which is cool. Yeah. Uh, the vehicles were updated to be six-person ride vehicles. We also had new effects and new sound systems. 
We also got new story elements. The spaceport that you're leaving from is called Starport 75, which is a reference to 1975 being the opening of Space Mountain. The active Earth stations that are listed in the queue on that big star map are references to other Space Mountains and other Disney parks throughout the world. Okay. Ours is called the MK1 Tomorrowland Station in reference to the fact that it is in the Magic Kingdom and it is the first Space Mountain. This was also the only version with a post show. Formerly used a people mover to get you from point A to point B. Now you just walk. Have you have you been on Space have you do you go on Space Mountain actually? Uh, I've done Space Mountain. I don't typically do it. It's not my favorite. My kids love it. So you haven't done it. Have they done it since the uh, the new exit queue was put in where you have to now walk through like a million miles of uh, hallway? I would say yes. Okay. <clears throat> you have to travel back under the train tracks in order to get out, which when they were working on this new exit queue, you had to exit like through a back door, basically, and you right. had to walk through like a like this desolate like utility like area behind Space Mountain and cross over the train tracks. Obviously, there was like a crossing guard there that would tell you when the train was coming. I hope. Yeah. They originally had an arcade in the gift shop. Do you remember this? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that closed back in February 2015. I don't remember an arcade. Really? Yeah, I really oh, don't. I do. They had like um, air hockey. They had all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Now, formerly out here, you had a shortcut to Storybook Circus, which is one of my favorite places to ways to go from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland because it was nice and quiet. You had a nice view of the train. Currently, that walkway is closed. We don't know if it's going to ever actually reopen because they are building Tron in that area. Right. right. Uh, Anti-Gravity's Galactic Goodies is our next stop, which sells ice cream. And that was a fun stop there. Now, let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> you can get, like, I think you can get a root beer float there or something like that. I don't know. I don't really go there very much. Uh, then you have the Tomorrowland Speedway, which is an opening day attraction. And Pete, what ticket was it? What I'm going to say also an E. C ticket attraction. Uh, uh, so, there, the, the, by the way, this, this marks our last uh, ticket attraction quiz because we're moving on to Epcot next. And uh, right. that was when the tickets were done away with. So, <clears throat> it was an opening day at C ticket attraction. No futuristic story applied to it, which is, means it's always kind of stuck out in Tomorrowland like a sore thumb. Uh, it, four t- the track is four-tenths of a mile. In Disneyland, it's called Autopia. And yep. there are actual bleachers there that you could sit and watch from, which is actually a really nice place to kind of, like, take a load off if you're, like, tired and need a place to sit down with not a lot of people. The track has had to be moved and shortened several times. First time, uh, it, there was the one time before Birthday Land Toontown was constructed, then again when Birthday Land Toontown was constructed. Then again for Storybook Circus, and now once again for Tron. I think they're just going to keep whittling this down until there's no until right. it's, it's gone. <clears throat> now, finally, we have one more place to visit on our, our tour of Tomorrowland, and the last, the main event of our entire exploration of the Magic Kingdom. That is Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe. There you go, the Did real not, highlight. I didn't do this intentionally. I swear, it's just kind of like the the path that we took. That's kind of like where it ended. <laughs> but yes, the the true highlight. Originally, this was actually called the Tomorrowland Terrace. Hmm. Before the Tomorrowland Terrace as we know it. It had things like Orbit Burgers and Moon Burgers, uh, which were hamburgers and cheeseburgers. The main dining room also had a hidden stage that would rise up. So the band would, the bands that would play in there, because they had live bands, they would actually like get into place underground in the Utilidors and then rise up onto the stage. Okay. 
And that is how they move Sunny Eclipse on and off when they have to remove him for like dance parties. Right. Um, <clears throat> they, though, the, weirdly enough, they had country western bands playing in there. Really? Yeah. Because that's the future. It was like the rootin' tootin' something or other. Um, <clears throat> the Tomorrowland Terrace closed on September 26, 1994 and became Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe on December 9th of that same year. Now, storyline-wise, this Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe is a galaxy-wide fran- as a universal franchise, not Universal Studios, but as a universal-wide. Right. Um, <clears throat> this is the first location on Earth, so it's it's a big deal. Okay. And it's presided over by the one and only, straight from Unork City on the planet Zork, the biggest little star in the galaxy, the one, the only, the incomparable, Sunny Eclipse. The best. Literally the best. The best. Was he our number one park-specific character, or was it Figment? Probably was Figment, but... I think he was, like, number two. Like, he was up there. In our hearts, we know who On Two Men in the Mouse, we love Sunny Eclipse. Like, Sunny Eclipse is our favorite thing in the world. Any Sunny Eclipse anything is, like, treasured on Two Men in the Mouse. And if you go back on... If you go to... uh, I know that, like, you know, iTunes and and all the other ones, they don't really have a lot of our back episodes up. But if you go to uh, twomenandthemouse.podbean.com, you can get a lot of our older episodes. And one of them is where we interview Cal David, the voice of Sunny Eclipse. Yeah, that was a great one. We had such a cool conversation with the guy. I think he... I remember he, he told us afterwards that, like... Or somebody... Either he told us or, like, his representative told us that it was, like, one of his favorite interviews that he did because, like, we talked about, like, his music and didn't just ask him about, like... Because the funny thing about Cal David was he had never he's never been to Walt Disney World to see Sunny Eclipse. I I know I think that's great. <clears throat> and he's not a Disney guy at all. I mean he likes it. This was a gig that he did, and but he also played a lot of the um, the guitar tracks on songs like Gravity and stuff because he's a blues musician. Yep. His wife is actually one of the Space Angels, the Invisible Backup Singers. Yeah. You remember when he said that on, on in the interview? It blew my mind completely. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, Sunny Eclipse was based on another audio animatronic uh, character from Tokyo Disneyland called Zizix, who was the baggage um, alien in Star Tours over there. Okay. And Sunny Eclipse can be lowered into the ground, as we talked about before. Uh, so, Cosmic Gray Starlight Cafe, you can get a bunch of stuff there, it is one of the largest quick service r- restaurants in all of Walt Disney World. I mean, it's. Now you mean largest in seating capacity? Yeah. And it also has um, three different, um, you know, docking bays where you can order from. Right. So it's got, like, a really large, like, line capacity. I prefer to, um, you know, order via mobile ordering there. They also have a really good Fixins bar there. I feel like the Fixins bar over at um, Pecos Bills gets all the love, but, like, I think... No, they're very similar. Yeah, they're very similar. And the fix I feel like the Fixins bar at Cosmic Rays is just as good. I always also love when they have the little signs with Sunny Eclipse on them, like in there when they have to like hold up yep. signs for things, which I'm just like, oh my gosh, why don't you put out more stuff with that? Like, I want more Sunny Eclipse merchandise. I want a t-shirt. I know. I don't know why they don't do it. Yeah. I think you have, a, you have the Vinylmation. I think they put yeah. out like the Planetary Boogie on one of the CDs, but really not a lot of Sunny Eclipse merch and love out there. So hoping... I know. It makes me nervous. Oh, he's the best. I mean, like, what's your favorite Sunny Eclipse song? Is it the Planetary Boogie? I do like Planetary Buggy, but I am I am partial to Gravity. I think Gravity is really cool. Gravity is really cool, and I really like it because it's a blues song, and Cal David yeah, is a blues too. musician. Yeah, it's great. 
uh, my favorite, I mean, I really like the, hello, all you earthlings, my name is Sonny Eclipse, he's Sonny, yes, his name is Sonny. Like, I really like that that first song he does. Uh, but I also really like, the, I really like the the very slow, melodic kind of ballad that he does. Like the love song, Bright Little Star. Right. Oh, yep. Bright Little Star, though you're miles away from me now. Like, it's beautiful. And I, I love his jokes too. Like, what kind of bugs do you think they got up there on the moon? Lunatics! And when he plays it, when he plays it, the small world. Yep. We use that on my home planet Zork to break the enemy. <laughs> and that's Tomorrowland. And that's the Magic Kingdom. We're done. Wow. Now I asked in the in the group if you guys wanted us to move right ahead into Epcot, or if you wanted us to take a break and do things for a couple of weeks. Overwhelmingly, it's keep going. Okay. Go, let's go right to Epcot. So um, uh, let's hear from our friends around the world, see what they had to say about their favorite aspects of Tomorrowland. Mel Maxi says, people mover in Carousel of Progress. Ashley Neumeiser says, push the talking trash can, RIP. Charles Mary says, Walt's dream for Epcot on the people mover. Ryan Campbell says, the cue music of Space Mountain, chilling on the people mover for two laps. And Astro Orbiter during the fireworks or sunset. Denise Draggart Stanfa says, I'm still mad about Alien Encounter. I'm not sure if she's mad that it closed or if she's mad that it existed in the first place. Hmm, interesting. But uh, Katarina Dupree says, paging Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. I'm all in for a good pun. Charles Mary says, also says, paging Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. Heather DeFeo says, as a family, we love competing and posing for the photo on Buzz Lightyear. Of course, Space Mountain 2. Dan Gaukowski says, my daughter Claire loves the people mover while I have to pick maxing out my score on Buzz Lightyear every time. Bob Gavea says, honestly, not much. I guess the people mover. I don't like roller coasters, so I've never even been on Space Mountain. <clears throat> Mike Honan uh, says, the people mover has the absolute best views of the castle. Nathan Dunbar says, Carousel of Progress is my wife and mine's favorite ride. Would it be considered a ride? This is an interesting question that comes up a lot. Is the Carousel of Progress a ride or a show? I consider it a show because I think that's its intent. I, same here, but it, it, it's animatronics that you move around. And technically, right. the theater is a ride vehicle because it does move. So it's like it's it's like it's a small world. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, so so he says in Tomorrowland, when we always make time for and never gets old, amazingly. Also, the laugh floor is always great with the right crowd. Peter Mandel doesn't know that. Taylor Troyer says Carousel of Progress and the People Mover. I also love the background music loop that plays in the land. Just gives it a nice vibe. Trace Malton says, nothing beats listening to Sunny Eclipse tickling the intergalactic ivories on that astro organ while dining at Cosmic Rays. He's so good you almost forget you just paid $15 for a hamburger. Almost. He's right. Heather Marie says, I love the people mover. It's a nice rest after being on your feet all day. Dean Basilio says, uh, for my childish side, it has to be the Space Ranger spin. For my adult whimsical Disney side, I adore Carousel of Progress. Libby McManus says, people mover. Aaron Marie says, Carousel of Progress, one of my favorites in all of Magic Kingdom. Jennifer Day says, The People Mover is one of my favorites. I love that it never has a weight. It's the most relaxing ride. The breeze is the best, and it can definitely give you a recharge. Eileen Wells says, I actually love Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor. I love the crowd participation, laugh all the way through every time, and get to cool off, too. Steven Chinichi says, Tomorrowland's version of the song Strange Things. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. Also, the Space Ranger slush from, launch, from Lunching Pad. It's hands down our favorite slush on property. I've never had that. I might have to try that. Me neither. Kathleen Grove says, I love the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. One day my joke will get cho will get chosen. One day. Giselle Car uh, Camargo Devane says, People Mover. Ryan Welsh says, People Mover and Space Mountain, probably the best two attractions in the kingdom. 
Santa Ron says people mover. Dan Hoffman says people mover at night. Craig McFarland says everything. That land is everything that could have been, everything that could have been and never will be. Sarah Albert says Carousel of Progress, people mover. Lori Brosnahan says people mover and Carousel of Progress. Jennifer Rovak Kent says people mover. Rick Reagan says TTA, Circular Heat Escape, Nap Room. And if you had wings, whoa, Dole Whip flashback to the 80s. If you, uh, if you had wings. Uh, Brooke Poindexter Ball says TTA in Space Mountain. Um, Michael Henderson says riding Space Mountain as a kid is one of my earliest Walt Disney World memories. As I've gotten older, I've come to enjoy and enjoy, enjoy and appreciate the Carousel of Progress. My wife enjoys eating at Cosmic Rays, so we always get to enjoy the melodious sounds of Sunny Eclipse. Bad Paget says Tron. Which I guess he's from the future because we haven't experienced Tron yet. Unless, right. unless he's done it or seen videos of it in Shanghai and just knows that it's going to be awesome because it is going to be awesome. I can't wait. I love that we're getting something new in a land that needed it. DJ B. Duckett says the overall design of it. I love the 1950s sci-fi future that never was but might someday be. Feel of Tomorrowland. Jennifer Mosby Luff says it's got to be people mover. I get all the Disney feels while riding it. And finally, Seth Tinsley simply says carousel of progress and there you go pete the magic kingdom's done we got to move on to epcot next yeah i'm excited i'm really excited about epcot yeah it, it's so it's gonna be interesting to see how we're gonna tackle epcot because we got to talk about what was there and i guess we have to talk about what was there and, and what's coming while we're in future world right right so we'll do future world we'll start in the center and then we'll go to the sides and then we'll start do we start in mexico or canada we should take a, a vote as to whether we start in mexico or canada my vote would be you start in Mexico. You go clockwise. I typically go counterclockwise because I start all things in Canada. But I will I will let the uh, the audience dictate us on that one. All right. And um, so anything else you want to add this week? I really enjoyed the Magic Kingdom. That I, was great. I did, too. I really did. This was a really fun concept. I'm, I'm sad that it's over. Yeah. Um, I mean, only, part, only partly over. Learned a lot. Hope that you guys did, too. And we are going to learn even more as we journey into Epcot. But... That's going to do it for Tipping in the Mouse this week, folks. Thank you so much for joining us and for coming along with our world tour with us. This has been quite the e-ticket attraction experience going through the Magic Kingdom, and Epcot awaits us. I cannot wait to get there. Uh, folks, if you love Peter Mandel, please check him out over at Rogue Comics at 105 North Union Avenue, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Or go to roguecomics.com where you can find a link to Pete's eBay store. Uh, you can also, if you're planning a trip to Walt Disney World or any Universal Resort throughout the known world, contact our buddy Dave Weikert of Magical Travel, who will plan your Disney vacation for you at no additional cost to you. It's DisneyDaveW at Verizon.net. Shoot him an email. He'll be happy to answer your questions, give you a quote, book your trip. No cost to you whatsoever. Uh, and if you're renting a Cripper Stroller, please check out our buddies over at KingdomStrollers.com. For me, check out my books, the Ross and Andy series, Winters of Elnor, The Birth of the Dark Angel. Those are all on Amazon.com if you look up Kevin J. Kessler. Also, the Morty Monster YouTube channel found at YouTube.com slash Morty Monster, uh, where you can find all of the Morty Monster videos. And we're currently doing a big series in Epcot, so that'll be fun. Uh, and so that does it again. That does it for this week. Pete, any closing words? On to Epcot. On to Epcot. Please, folks, keep the magic alive every day of your lives. And we will see you next week on Two Men and the Mouse. So there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away if you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the monorail stops completely and the doors open. If this concludes your visit, we hope you've had a wonderful time and will return home safely. Thank you for traveling with us.